0: This is a. Hello, hello. Yes, okay. Um, this is a special Sunday. It's a Sunday after and a Sunday before. It's a Sunday after Christmas and a Sunday before the uh, New Year. So I think we should we should ask ourselves uh, ask ourselves two questions. One, now that Christmas is done, the gaiety, the celebration, the uh, presents, the stuffing of our face, everything is done, are we done with the message of Christmas? I know the day after Christmas is called the Boxing Day, I mean, we do that in in, uh, Canada and Uh, UK and Australia and all that. The Boxing Day, they really don't know what the origin is, but one of the things that they do in Boxing Day is put things away for next year. So we have to ask ourselves this question, uh, is it just time to just put things away, you know, whatever Christmas meant? I want to suggest to you, no, I want to read to you a poem by Howard Thurman. He's a civil rights leader, pastor, and educator. This is what he wrote, when the song of the angels is stilled. He says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. Essentially, what he's saying, the work for every Christian has only begun. The message of Christmas only begins, as it were, for us, the, 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 the incarnation only begins for us, this possibility of that good news on the cross. and So, so Christmas does not end, it only begins. But it's also the last day before we enter into the new year, that is if God allows us. And so the year's coming to an end, but we know eternity does not. And so I think it's a good time to pause for an introspection, to, to recalibrate, as it were, how this year has been because, you know, Are we at the same place that we were at the beginning of the year? Have we matured? Have we moved? Have we changed? Have we we known more of the glories of Christ? Do we know a little more about who he is? It's good to examine ourselves because the injunction of the Bible is often that. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 59. It says, I pondered the direction of my life. And I turned to follow your laws. I hurried, not hesitating, to keep your commands. So I, he he takes time to ponder and to ask, and make those changes. And so I want invite you. To, I want to invite you to turn with me to one Peter chapter four, verses seven to eleven. You can remember the passage as the seven eleven passage. Okay, so seven eleven passage of one Peter chapter four, and this is God's word. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that as we stand here, we look to the presence, the the teacher, the comforter of the Holy Holy Spirit to teach us and to show us, Lord, and reveal to us uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts, Lord. You know we are needy people. There's much that we need to know and strength that we need for this life. And so we pray, Father, that your word would feed us and... um, Encourage us and build us and strengthen us. And as we look to your word, that it will throw light in areas which have been left aside with sin and in darkness, Lord, those, the, the, that sin will be banished from our lives and that we will live, as the text suggests, to the glory of God. We thank you again. We love you, Lord, in Jesus Christ. Our Lord's name we pray. Amen. And so Peter is uh, asking, answering a question we didn't ask. The question is, how do we live with eternity in view? How do we live with eternity in view? And I think that's a good question to ask, because if we are one year closer to the Lord's coming, then it matters what we do here. Uh, Henry uh, David Toro, again, he says, as if you could kill time without enduring eternity. As if you could kill time without enduring eternity. As if you could do, like, you know, just do what you're doing, just kill time without redeeming it and not impact eternity. As if you could spend your time without affecting timeless eternity. So that's the consideration before us, what, peter does here is he brings to us like a good modern day preacher three points three things he brings to us and then he connects it to the fact of us uh, us, you know doing it for the glory of god so the first one is in verse seven you will see there it's called earnest in prayer therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers Verses 8 to 9 is being fervent in love. Fervent in love. And then verses 10 to 11 is faithful in service. So we'll look at each each of these and try and understand what it is that God would have us understand. We'll unwrap this. So the first one is to be earnest in prayer. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. Now, First Peter has been written for to the suffering Christians. They've been suffering. And so this book has been written, this epistle has been written, and chapter three is very specifically, he mentions about the suffering, and then he brings it, connects it to prayer. He said so there's something about suffering and this prayer that's that's connected. You see, the Lord Jesus when he prayed there was th- the the disciples asked lord would you teach us how to pray peter had seen this he saw specifically in the garden of ed um, sorry garden of gethsemane at the point where the lord was humanly speaking at the at the depth of his trial what he does is he prays he prays earnest prayer but I want you to notice that this prayer is conditional. That is what caught my attention. It's conditional. You see, it says in the ESV that I have here it, that it, you should be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. Depending on your translation or version, you uh, it says serious and watchful or earnest and disciplined, alert and sober-minded. In chapter 3, uh, those of us uh, husbands know in, in verse 7, it says, if you're living with your, with your wife, be, live in such a way that you're, they're understanding, understanding them and that uh, you give them honor. Chapter 3, verse 7. So there is this condition that he puts to prayer. The effectiveness of prayer is evidently very dependent on the spiritual health of one who is praying. Let, listen to this. If you want your prayer to be answered, the effectiveness of prayer is dependent on the spiritual health of the one who's praying. I understand that, you know, if you're not a Christian and you seek God and, you know, and you pray, but I'm talking to you Christians, one who believe in Jesus Christ on a regular basis, hopefully. Your prayers will only be effective. Impacted by the spiritual health of one who's praying. There's this double requirement. It's like the Disney ride. Both height and weight matter. You know, it should be above that line and it should be like a car seat. Two requirements. Someone said, eschatology has ethical implication that is if you really believe that God the Lord is coming soon that the Lord's coming soon then your attitude and your behavior the things that you do must 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 match up and it must reflect in prayer and so what does what does Peter mean by self-controlled and sober-minded I want us to understand that, all right? So the first is self-controlled. Self-controlled means our passions, our desires, our flesh is under control, that our self is reigned in, okay? It's not our self that is ruling, it's not sitting on the throne, it is under control. But I want you to understand there's sometimes this misunderstanding between self-control and self-discipline. They're two different. I want to create that distinction because if it is just self-discipline where I control, I keep myself under control, then the karate black belt guru or master would be a prayer warrior. The kung fu master would be the the best prayer warrior that there is because, you know, they do a lot of self-discipline. If I'm controlling my, you know, sometimes you hear people say, listen, I've I've got myself under control. I I just want to let you know. If if it weren't for that, you would know who really I am. But I want you to understand, dear brothers and sisters, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. It's got nothing to do with you. It's not about you controlling yourself. It's about you saying, God, I can't do this. I can't help it. Would you take this and take control? it's the fruit of the spirit so i have got i i, I have this need to submit to the spirit of god that he would take it and he would present in me this control and so when 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 i react to things or I don't react to things i i don't I, I don't boast or i don't say you know you should really see who i am i would be joyful because that's what the fruit uh, delivers to us The fruit says, wow, God, I didn't think I could do this, but thank you. The unnatural, the divine is evident in self-control. The first is self-control. Second is sober-minded. It says there so that you are self-controlled and sober-minded. Sober-minded is where you're clear-headed and your sound judgment. You, you can think straight. You got your head screwed on right. Spiritually. In one of the biblical, one of the qualifications for the biblical qualifications of an elder, it, the sober-mindedness is contrasted to the one who's not who, contrasted to the one who's drunk. That is, if you're drunk, then you're controlled by the spirit. That is wine or not the you know, the, the, the wine that is, controlled by wine. Or here you have one who's sober minded. And the prayer it says requires both. In first Peter he, he he brings this up again in First Peter chapter three verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. You see, what he is saying is two things are required. Your heart and your mind. Self-control and sober mind. Both of those affecting the quality of your life. He, in verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. So I ask myself this question, how is my prayer life? Is it just transactional, or is it transformational? Is it just, i got this grocery list of things. God, would you answer this for me? Would you just reply to these little you know, snippets, these bullet points that I have? Would you do that for me? Because you, know, you say you answer prayer. Is that the kind of prayer that we have? Or is this a transformational prayer that sober-mindedness and, and um, both the heart and the mind are impacted, this self-control and the sober-mindedness are part of it? James, James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, uh, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you'll be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man or a woman has great power and produces wonderful results. The righteous man and his earnest prayer, both being important. So, what I want us to do is, I, I, I want us to take us. Just close your eyes. Thirty seconds. Ask God how your prayer life has been. Examine your heart and your mind. Examine if there's been any sin in your life that's prevented this prayer from being answered. Examine if your treating your spouse with honor and living in an understanding way. Or if you don't have a spouse, the way you treat others. I I pray that this prayer is not a grocery list, but it's a weapon of warfare. And just as they have rules and regulations of how weapons must be handled, prayer we th- there's at least this double requirement in this passage of sober mindedness and self-control and we come to the Lord and Mrs. Lord, oh Father, that we would commit as individuals and as as uh, as a church that our prayer would not be just just passing information which you already know, but it would it would change me, help me, Lord, and help us, help us as a community, oh Lord. That we will understand what it means to approach the throne of grace, the privilege that we have. We have, we have just relegated it to just a, a, just an ask without the or a task without without this relationship. we pray, Father, that, that we will understand the joy of having a conversation, a relational conversation with you. Check our hearts, Lord, and check our minds. Self-control and sober-mindedness. May we be glorified, Lord. Father, we know that we want to do all this for your glory. I know there are among us some um, who have been praying. I, I don't know if you knew about this, but since the beginning of the year, there have been people in groups of two who have been praying. And, and you ask them, they will tell you the joy of, of what it means to have those prayers answered. Not because, you know, we, we, we made a list and he returned it all filled in. It's not like online shopping. That's not what prayer is. But this joy of of relating to a God who is so personal. But second, that we would be fervent in love Above all, it says, above all, love has priority over all else. Above all, and just see this again, this love is qualified. It says, love one another earnestly, a fervent love. Not just love, love itself, sometimes you find it difficult, but now this is love that is fervent. It's like on fire, it's on passionate fire. Uh, That's the kind of love we're talking about. The Greek word used here in the non-biblical describes a horse at full gallop. It's like, you know, it's just nothing can stop it. It's like a runner's training for the tape at the finish line. It's like this love will accomplish what it starts, a fervent love. But I want you to check this. Love is demonstrated in two ways. It covers a multitude of sins. And then it goes on to say, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Full forgiveness and cheerful hospitality. Full forgiveness and cheerful hospitality. Covering up is not to uncover, but to put away. It covers faults and opens relationship. It forgives and it invites. It cares and it shares. It liberates and it celebrates. That's the kind of love. That's fervent love. And cheerful hospitality. Listen to this quote. Love hides them from its own sight, not from God's sight. When it says love covers a multitude of sin, it covers it from our eyes, not from God's sight. Hate does the opposite. It pries about in order to discover some sin or some semblance of sin in a brother or a sister. And then broadcasts, and even exaggerates it and gloats over it. That's what hate does. But this is agape love. This is fervent love. This is love that says, no, I'm not going to focus on, 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 on the wrongs. I'm going to have that covered. It's a, it's a multitude. It's a kind of love that identifies us with Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ says, Love one another because when you love one another, people will know who you are, that you are my disciples, he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this fervent love, it's patient. Patient. It's kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, it, it, it rejoices with truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, it never ends, it does no wrong, Romans 13 and 10. It begets no fear, 1 John 4, 8. It bears one another, Ephesians 4, 2. It binds us together in perfect harmony, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. I can go on and on. That's what this love does. That's what this love does. Fervent love. I don't know if you ever came across this slogan, the detergent slogan. You know, it says tough on stains and gentle on skin. This is tough, I wrote it down. I must, yeah. It, it says tough on stains, gentle on skin. Fervent love is tough on sins but gentle on skin of the brother and the sister. It's not, it's able to differentiate between the act versus the person. We have a, we have a table surface at home that we used an abrasive by mistake. What it needed probably is tender love we needed to get the stain out without spoiling the surface. Fervent love is able to do that. It covers the sin. It takes away the sin. It showers the person with love. Fervent love. It goes on to talk here about hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let me read to you a quote by J.W. Alexander. We are, we are perhaps ready enough to make our guests welcome, to provide for the lodging and, and refreshment, to show them the wonders of our environs, and to invite friends for their entertainment. But besides this, we owe a duty to their souls. What is being said here is this. You see, hospitality and fellowship are evidences of fervent love. That is, you see, there is this difference between just a get-together and a fellowship. You see, a get-together, I satisfy my desire to hang out or to have fun. But here, it's intentional and towards the other person. It's directed out. It's not self-focused. That's fervent love. So when God says he loves you, he's talking about he loves you. He loves you. He loves me. We'll we'll take eternity to get past that. But today, the question is, have we passed on this fervent love? So let's pause and pray and ask examine that our love is outward directed rather than self-seeking. That whether it's hospitality or whether it is anything that we love doing, it's not because we love doing it, but because the love for people trumps even that. That's fervent love. That our every task of hospitality, everything that we do, whether it be a Sunday during break here or, or whether at home, that we do it cheerfully. We do it with, without grumbling as this verse 9 in ESV says that. That we as a church would love one another as Christ loved us. Fervent love. But not just fervent love, as you continue to go on, see in verse um, 10 and 11, faithful in service, faithful in service. It says, as each has received, that means every Christian, every Christ follower everybody who's been impacted by Jesus Christ has received a gift God is a gift giver he and to all his children and he's done that without exception or without oversight that is like oops I, I forgot to give it to you no all of us has a gift but when we pout when we say no I don't have a gift then we make him a liar and when we are unhappy or dissatisfied with the gift that he has given, uh, given us, then we have just been ridiculously ungrateful. So we have a gift. It's a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's a gift. I want you to understand that this gift is like the Christmas gift. Many of you bought Christmas gifts, but you didn't buy it for yourself. Well, I don't know. Some of you may have. I, I don't quite. Call that the self gift or whatever, but really we buy these gifts to give to others, and that is that is what God is saying. That's what these spiritual gifts that He that He is talking about that these gifts have been have been given to you so that you can pass on, you can share, you can encourage, you can build, as the uh, as the passages that speak about spiritual gift will tell us. It's about the building of the body of Jesus Christ. I remember growing up when uh, during Christmas my. Uh, We weren't really very well-to-do, but my dad would go out of his way to buy the special cake uh, for our neighbors, and we would have homemade cake. I never got to taste that special cake that I gave to neighbors. I would go and give it to them, but I never get to taste it. Hospitality, without grumbling, was 101. We have gifts that God has given us. And that we are to be good stewards. There's a reckoning. There's a time of reckoning. There's a question that's going to be asked. What did you do with those things that I gave you to build the body of Jesus Christ? To build and encourage each other? What did you do? We are stewards. We don't own it. And it says of the manifold grace that is out of his abundance he's given one for everybody and in this group he's given different gifts and so together we can build his variety of grace. That's what one of your translations would say uh, say it. And then Peter goes on to provide two examples of the gift as a speaking gift and a serving gift but really how this can be used for God's Glory, and then and then it goes on to say, you see, he gives the ability to use this thing. You see, because he says in verse eleven, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified. So he equips us and he enables us so that we can reach this end goal. The purpose is so that he would be glorified, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I thought about it. And uh, this is what convicted me. You see, sometimes I serve, I do things because I like doing it. So I, you know, kind of satisfy myself. But when it is serving, it is not always what you like doing. It is because you're serving the God you love. I remember, and, and uh, Joyce will attest to this, this is when Dan was really small and one of the elderly ladies at church, uh, at that church we were at, she was talking about how she raised three of her kids and how when, uh, this, this was many years ago, and when their noses become infected, she would actually suck it out with her mouth. I was like, how do you do that? I like, how? And she told, she, this is what she said. She said, no, I don't love boogers. I don't like sucking boogers out of someone else's face, but I love my child. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? We do what we do, not because it it just brings us satisfaction and joy for ourselves, but because it brings him joy. He is the one who's glorified. When you do things as unto him, it's inconvenient to do certain things. It's out of your comfort zone it goes beyond the depth of your pocket sometimes. Let's not be penny-pinching or in any which way just like, okay, I need... If you understand what we have received in Jesus Christ and to be able to do it all for His glory. So let's just pause and pray. This is... Charles Spurgeon has asked these questions. So I want you to hear as I say this on the voice of Charles Spurgeon, okay? Do I only serve God when I'm in good company? He had an Indian accent, by the way. Do I serve him when religion is profitable and respectable? Do I love the Lord only when temporal comforts are received from his hands? Do I serve only because I enjoy what I do? Or do I do it for the glory of God? Let's pray that we would commit as individuals and as church that we would do everything, everything, everything for the glory of God. He alone is the reason we do what we do. All for the glory of God. And our Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect example, a role model in all of this, in earnest prayer, in fervent love, and in faithful service. You see, Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter saw Jesus do all of these three and he was transformed. Some years ago, the disciples had asked and Peter was among them. He says, teach us how to pray because they had seen the Lord Jesus pray. The fervence, the, 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 the intentionality of his prayer. The earnestness of his prayer. And now he's able to tell us the barriers that come when we, when, when, when we pray with those barriers. It's not effective. It's some years ago, he asked Peter about, sorry, Peter asked the Lord about forgiveness. We, we touched on it this morning. He wanted to know that magic number, that divine number. Lord, is it seven or it's uh, eight or it's 12? Lord, would you tell me that number to which I can forgive beyond which you're okay, I'm okay. God says no. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what he tells us right now. Fervent love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't keep track of the wrongs. We, we sing this song, count your blessings, name them one by one, When sometimes we try to do is count their sins, name them one by one. Do we not? Fervent love forgives. Some years ago, the one who demonstrated the greatest love on the cross, he asked Peter, whether he loved, whether Peter loved beyond all the fish that he has caught, whether he loved Jesus Christ beyond all of those that, that could be there. And, and Peter, who was just fresh from the shame of denial, was unable to answer. He says, no, Lord, you know, you know, you know me, Lord. But now he says, here he says, by the strength that God supplies, that it is through the strength of God alone that I can do what he's asked me to do. So we have no excuse because the one who equips us is also the one who enables us. All for his glory. And some years ago, when Peter should have got up and washed the feet of of the other disciples, he sat there and the sovereign one knelt to wash his feet. And today, in, in, in this episode, see, episode he, he, now, uh, he now challenges us to be good stewards as we serve. Well, in the final analysis, let our lives, our prayers, our love, our acts of service be done for the g- glory of God. For there's no greater way than to live. Another year, God is giving us. And Peter says, okay, that's easy to remember. Let your prayer be earnest. Would you repeat with me? So we just got it instilled in us, all right, class? Earnest Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. And fervent love fervent love, faithful service. May God enable us. Father God, we, we come to you, Lord. Just as Peter, who was unable to do all that was asked of him, but was able to write later, knowing that what he did and was through the strength that you provided. And so we ask for ourselves, Lord, ask for ourselves this one thing. I know there are among us, Lord, who are going through fiery trials, as this episode reminds us. Difficult times, situations that's beyond us, the waves that have risen above us. And as Peter felt that he was sinking deep and then he just reaches out and says, Lord, save me. We are in that situation, Lord. We are unable to handle and do things on our own, but we thank you for the strength. As, as the psalmist would say, our, our God, oh Lord, you are a, 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 a very present help in times of trouble. He is our refuge. And so to that God we come, the one who has gift, given us gifts, the one who equips us, the one who enables us, and now challenges us, Lord, that as a community, as we face this new year, Oh, we pray, Father, that, that our prayer would be earnest, our love would be fervent, and that our service would be faithful, all for your glory. And we ask and thank all this in the precious, precious, precious name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.